I'm Randy, I'm one of the pastors. Couldn't help as we sang that song to think of how beautiful it was this morning on the way to church. Snow in the trees, blue sky behind. And as I was driving here, I saw a man jogging. And uh, I wanted to just stop and roll my window down and say, Dude, what are you doing? But it was too cold, so I just kept on driving. But uh, it's great that it's warm in here, and uh, we're so happy that you, that you made it. If you're new to the church, a special thank you for coming on a cold day like this. And we always like to remind you, we've got a little card near where you're seated. And if you fill that card out and you're a first-time guest, take it to the welcome desk out there and receive a free gift bag. That tells a little bit more about our church. Uh, we'd love to have you fill that out so we can connect with you by email and just let you know of some of the opportunities coming up for spiritual growth. Um, in a moment, we'll be taking an offering. If you're new, you don't have to participate. This is something we do as a family to give thanks to God for His generosity with us and also gives us a way to invest in His kingdom work. On the back is a place for prayer requests, and uh, we get these cards as an equipping staff on Tuesday, and we pray for each card that comes in. And also on Wednesday, there's a prayer group that meets just to pray for these, because we believe that when we pray, God works. So this is uh, something we'd love to have you do. You can fill it out, put it in the offering plate, or put it at the welcome desk, and we'll make sure that we partner with you in prayer. And then uh, if you have an update, we love it when you give that to us as well. Well, let's just take a moment to uh, commit our time to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for all the wonderful promises in Scripture about prayer. Prayer is just really communicating with you as a friend. And we want to praise you, Lord. We want to sing Alleluia for the beautiful creation that you've given us as our Creator. You have wired this universe in an amazing way. And it was very evident to us on our drive over here as we saw the white snow against the blue sky of how awesome you are. You are mighty and powerful and all-knowing. And we just want to worship you. It's such a privilege to be here. We do want to admit to you that it's been a hard week. Because we are sinners by nature and by choice, we sometimes just turn away from you rather than turning toward you. And because we know that about ourselves, it's good to be here to be reminded that you so loved the world that you became a human being. And you lived the perfect life, fulfilled the law perfectly. And when you died on that cross 2,000 years ago, you carried the weight of all of our sins. And in your glorious resurrection, you proved you are God. And now that you are ascended into heaven, you sent us your Holy Spirit. And you carried our sin and you exchanged that for your righteousness that you put in us to make us right with you. We marvel at your grace. And I would pray that if there's anyone here who's not yet a Christian today, that, that they might just own up to their sins and failings and trust in you as their Savior and by your death and resurrection that they would be forgiven. Father, <clears throat> I want to give you thank you for our students. We have our worship band, a youth worship band out at Hidden Acres at Winter Blast. Be with them as they're leading all these middle school students in a weekend of retreat. We pray that it would be a time of spiritual growth. We also thank you for all the ways that you've been good to us this week through our families, through our work, through warm homes. Help us never to take your gifts for granted. And Lord, we want to lift up those that we love that are hurting right now. I think of John Morris, who is a former member of our church now living in Michigan, battling pancreatic cancer. I just pray you'd be with him and Nancy. And as he takes chemo, we pray that he would get to the point where he could have surgery and 
that you would just heal him. Uh, be with him and give him peace as he goes through this journey. We think of our, our sister Arlene Dolan, who used to attend this service regularly, and now she's gone home to be with you, Lord. Be with us as we celebrate her life on Saturday morning at 1030. And Lord, uh, there are many other needs represented in the congregation today. You know every hurting heart, and you bend to our need. And I just pray that as a result of being here today, that you might fill us with hope, give us renewed vision of what your purpose is for us. And we would show you our love by giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. Use these gifts, Lord, as an indication of our love for you. And help us to invest in your work so even more people can hear the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, as the offering goes around, I wanted to give you a couple of updates. The first is that in your program, you will note that our Saturday evening service will end next Saturday, February 2nd. Uh, this was a time we had about three years experimenting with uh, having a service, especially for people who may need to work on Sunday mornings. And it's been a great time, but uh, in the time we've been doing this, we've started uh, live streaming. By the way, welcome to our online community. Uh, we've also noticed that it's been tough to staff the volunteer force that we need to do this well. And so next Saturday will be our last service, but we're going to offer a life group. So if you normally attend Saturday or know someone that would benefit from this, please tell them they could come at 5 o'clock on Saturdays and be a part of a Bible study group to pray for each other and grow together. The other announcement I'd like to bring is that uh, it's very exciting. We finally have final confirmation that we will be having a new lead pastor candidate here February 16 and 17. Uh, we want to thank the congregation, all of you, for your prayers and your patience we want to especially thank our search committee for all the work they put into it. Thank you so much. And we are really excited about this uh, family. Uh, you'll be hearing more beginning tomorrow. There'll be more information coming out on schedule and all of that. We just received final confirmation yesterday morning. But uh, please put that on your calendar and take note. This candidate will be preaching on uh, February 17th. So we'll be excited to learn more about that. You know, this time of year, some of the days get long and dark and gloomy, and I heard about a guy that really kind of got depressed, and he went into a deli, and he sat down, and the server came over to him, and she said, uh, boy, you look depressed. And he said, yeah, I kind of am. And she said, well, what can I do for you? He said, well, you could uh, get me some scrambled eggs and a kind word. She said, okay. And so she went off, and a little while later she came back and set the scrambled eggs in front of him. And he said, thank you. And then he looked up and he said, and the kind word? And she said, don't eat the scrambled eggs. <laughs> now, <clears throat> we may chuckle at that, but Actually, depression, anxiety, social isolation is becoming a huge issue in our country. So many people are struggling. There was an article in the Gazette not long ago about how people are socially isolated at all age levels. They feel all alone. Especially elderly people are becoming more and more isolated. And so tech companies seeing an opportunity, have begun to design apps for your phone to try to get you connected. But all you need to do is listen to what the psychologists say. Virtual friendships are not like being with people. I am glad that uh, I'm a part of a church because we have a solution designed by God that's far better than an app on a phone for social isolation. 
It's called the body of Christ, the family of believers. And we've been in a series talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, sacred selfies. If we were to take a selfie of ourselves as a follower of Jesus, what would it look like? And we've said part of that answer is the mission of our church. Our mission here is to glorify God by helping everyone we meet take their next step with Jesus. That is basically the great commission of Jesus from Matthew 28. But I want you to notice something. It is highly relational. We are in community with Jesus and we walk together helping each other. This is a relational community. And that has a direct frontal attack against social isolation. Also, we've talked about, that's the what we do, but we said, how do we do that? And we said, well, our disciple pathway has three aspects to it. The first is worship. When we come together regularly, weekly, to worship God, we study the Bible, we hear what He's saying to us, and we contemplate the fact that we have an all-powerful, mighty God. We, we realize that we have someone greater than us in the universe. And that can be tremendously uplifting to someone struggling with depression. To know that God is there and that weekly time of worship where we gather together as believers fuels our souls with truth. We also talked about life groups. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Robin talked about Colossians chapter 3 and how these one another's of Scripture are worked out as we meet in small groups, study the Bible together, and pray for each other. Sometimes some of us have questions and they can be answered in the small group context. In a small group, you find out you're not alone. Others have the same struggles, but you're working through them together. And it can have a tremendously uplifting effect on your soul. Life groups. We would recommend you get into a life group. Sometimes because of a season of life, you're not able to do that. I think of some young mothers with brand new babies. It may not be possible, but at some point, we would think it would be great to get into a life group where you can begin to grow with others. And we have information to help you do that. Groups meet all during the week, sometimes in homes, sometimes here at the church. Now, what happens in life groups is that you begin to learn how God has wired you in terms of natural abilities and spiritual gifts that God has given us. And last weekend, Pastor Keith talked about service teams. He talked about uh, rather than hoarding, giving, and giving of ourselves. And when we are equipped to serve Jesus and reach out to someone else, sharing the blessings He's given us, it also has an uplifting effect. Psychologists will even tell you, even secular psychologists will tell you that when a person who is depressed serves someone else, it has a lifting effect on their spirit. God knows how we're wired. He created us in His image. And so when we serve others in the name of Jesus Christ and in His power of His Spirit, we find our meaning and purpose in life. So many people are depressed today because they don't have meaning and purpose. I want to tell you that that is why it is good to be a part of a church. Worshiping Him, getting involved in a life group to study and learn together, and then serving Him. That's the how. I want to talk about the why today. Why do this? And what keeps us going in the Christian life even when the hard times come? And I would say the answer to that are core biblical values that we hold on to as a church and as individuals. Bible-based values that are deeply held help us to continue the journey with Jesus until the day He takes us home. We're going to get into this in the letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. You might want to be turning there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But let me give you a little backdrop. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter as one of his very first, we think around 50 A.D. 
If you read Acts 16, 17, and 18, you find the backstory. The Apostle Paul had been in a city named Philippi. He had a rough time there, was put into prison, suffered deep, deeply. When he was able to get out of that city, he went to Thessalonica, and as was his practice, he went right into the synagogue to share the good news of Jesus. And people didn't receive it so well. In fact, you read that a riot broke out in Thessalonica. When Paul left that city, he must have worried that his work had been in vain. He had no idea if anything good had happened there. When he got to Corinth, he sent Timothy to Thessalonica to check it out. Timothy refer, returned to say, you wouldn't believe what's happened in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. People came to know Jesus and they left idols to worship the true God. In fact, the church is so vibrant, it's impacting the communities around them. Paul was so stunned at what God is doing, he wrote this letter to encourage them. In chapter 1, he just thanks God for what God is doing in their midst. And when he gets to chapter 2, he begins to talk about his own ministry with them in that short time that he had there. And he unpacks four biblical values that are at the heart of why he's doing ministry. Well-known fact that uh, a lot of people didn't like Paul because he was so enamored with Jesus Christ, and they spread lies and rumors about him. And so in chapter 2, we see him defending himself against these lies, but more importantly, he's showing them how he ministered to them because he wants them and us to hold on to these values as we live as a community and as we seek to impact our community for Jesus Christ. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Why don't we stand out of respect for the Word of God and hear what God has to say to us? And then we'll look at these four values. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the Word of the Lord. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of, of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be his name. Thank you. You may be seated. Right from the get-go, you notice that Paul brings up this whole idea of what is an effective church. What is an effective church? He says, my coming to you is not in vain. That is, ineffective, ineffective. Uh, the word vain there means empty, without meaning. Paul says, on the contrary, 
my coming to you made a huge impact. But he talks about the cost involved in this in the first six verses. Verses 1 and 2 especially, he says, you know, I'm grateful for what God has done in your midst, but you've got to know that my coming was filled with sacrifice. Talks about Philippi thrown into jail there. He and the other disciples that were with him were singing songs, and God caused an earthquake to free him. But he remembers the suffering he had there. He mentions the word shameful treatment because of his discipleship, his love for Jesus, his sharing the gospel. He was treated shamefully. You ever been treated shamefully because you love Jesus? Somebody mocked your faith, called you a bigot, said you were a narrow-minded fundamentalist? Anybody ever ridiculed you? Well, Paul was not only ridiculed, he was often beaten. He was shipwrecked. He suffered. He talks about conflict, constant conflict. Wherever Paul went, a riot was stirred up. And so often he was unjustly accused. That's the price. If you're involved in ministry, just know this. There is a price to be paid. There's a cost involved in being faithful to God for a congregation and for us individually as Christians. It involves commitment. Paul said he didn't let little things like suffering and shameful treatment and conflict get in the way of proclaiming the gospel. He said, I know how Jesus changed me, and that's why when I came to you, verses 1 and 2, I was so intent on sharing the gospel. And then he gives us his first value, the thing that kept him going. We would say it this way, Christ over comfort, verses 3 and 4. Christ over our personal comfort. Paul said negatively, and this may have been one of the rumors about him, false teachers of the day were deceptive and they used all kinds of deceptive means to gain followers. But Paul says in verse 3, I did not have a deceptive message. I did not come with impure motives. He's saying, my motives were pure. On a positive way, verse 4, he said, my associates and I came to you because we answered to God, not the opinions of people. See, one of the ways you know a false teacher is he seeks his own comfort above Christ. Paul said, that's not us. We sought Jesus above all because the Lordship of Christ was our governing North Star, not what people thought of us. He said, I, I didn't come into your city to, find, to be comfortable. I came to proclaim Christ. You know, I've been around the church a long time. I've visited a lot of churches. I've seen what's going on in our country, and I'm, sometimes I get a little discouraged because so many pastors and churches capitulate, give in to the pressures of our culture, soften their view of sin, get away from the Word of God, preach topical messages that are feel-good for people. I'm not against topical messages as long as they're based in Scripture. But the Apostle Paul would remind us that if we're going to keep going for Jesus, he's the CEO. He's the head of the church. We get our orders from him. Even in Thailand, I saw this. I asked the pastors in my group who were the most influential people they were reading and listening to. And they told me the names of American prosperity gospel preachers. It was so disheartening. The whole myth that if we just give everything to God, you know, He's going to make us happy and wealthy and prosperous. Sometimes we give everything to God and we suffer and die in prison. The Apostle Paul would remind us that Christ is over our personal comfort. We say it this way, we make decisions based on God's direction, not on our personal preferences. 
So many times churches are divided because people's personal preferences become more important than Christ. We reference Matthew 16. Go read it. The Apostle Peter, at that time, listening to Jesus talk about the upcoming death on the cross, says, Jesus, you need to take the comfortable way. And did Jesus say, well, you're right, Peter. Maybe we should take the comfortable way. No, Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And then he said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As a church, we've said we want our value to be Christ over comfort. Do you realize the impact that makes? Do you personally have that as a value in your life, that it is Christ above comfort? Something to think about, isn't it? Because what keeps us going in the Christian life is Christ is preeminent, not our personal preferences. Secondly, Paul says, it's also sharing over stealing. That's how we would say it, sharing over stealing in verses 5 through 6. He says, flattery is one of the means false teachers use to work out their greed. They butter people up in order to pad their pockets. He said, we didn't do that. God is our witness, in fact. He said, we didn't steal glory from you or from God. We sought God's glory above all. We could have come in there and we could have said, hey, 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 I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. You owe it to me to help me out here. Instead, he said, we took a manual labor job in order to serve you. Sharing over stealing. One of our members recently said something to me that really touched me. He approached me after a service, and he said, Randy, you know what I've noticed about the equipping staff here? He said, you folks, for you, it's not just a job, it's your life. I thought, wow, thank you. And then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I look around this church, and I see a lot of people who don't just do it because I'm a volunteer, but it's your life. I see elders and their wives serving sacrificially, the search committee serving sacrificially. I see people serving in children's ministry. I see people serving in the worship team. I see, and it's hard to imagine this, but in the summer, grass actually grows out here, and it's green. It's not white. And there are people in this church who volunteer to mow the grass. It takes hours of time every week, and they do it rejoicing. Sharing over stealing. We would say it this way, God gave us blessings to share. Don't steal someone else's by hoarding yours. Pastor Keith made that real clear last week. You know, Paul's been pretty negative up to this point, but he wants them to get these two values in mind and how different he is than the false teachers of the day. It's Christ over comfort. It's sharing rather than stealing. And then he gets positive. He turns the corner at verse 7, and he starts to focus on what an effective church is. What is the focus of an effective church? And he says in verses 7 to 8 that it is building community over busy calendars. That's the third value. He said it's building the believers rather than being sidetracked by our personal busy calendars. And I love the image he talks. Verse 7, he says, I was like a nursing mother to you. I cared for you. I was gentle with you. I gave myself up for you. In verse 8, he says, I didn't assert my rights. I served by sharing the gospel, giving myself freely. I don't know about you, but I think of the Apostle Paul, and I don't picture him as a nursing mother. <laughs> I just can't get that image in my mind, because this is a rugged missionary 
who is so focused on mission, he's willing to be beaten up, thrown in jail, left for dead, picks himself up, continues going, shipwrecked. He is a rugged individual, a brilliant man, rabbi. And he said, when I came to you, I came to serve you, to build you up. I took time out of my calendar to be with you. So many of us have heard the sound in the night at 3 a.m. It's a distant memory for me now. Not for my wife, but for me. Now, anyone who's had a newborn in the home knows that that's a signal. The baby's hungry. And so um, I was always so happy to turn over and go back to sleep and let Cindy take care of that problem. The nursing mother. Could you imagine the cry in the night? And a mother wakes up and she opens up her phone and says, Oh, my calendar is so busy tomorrow, I just don't have time to feed you. You're on your own, babe! Can you imagine that? You know a mother's heart, she puts aside her sleep because she wants the well-being of that baby. That's the image of Paul. He put aside his personal agenda to care for their needs. We fill our calendars up. And then when somebody says, I have a need, oh, I'm too busy. I tell you, it would be a wonderful resolution to get up every morning and praying with God and saying, Lord, how do you want to interrupt my calendar today to build up somebody else? That's the way Paul was. We would say it this way. Our time is spent loving people not loading our schedules. I know some of you young parents, you've got children, you've got pressure from school, from friends, to be very busy. And we need help here. We need to have some discipling to help us figure out how to prioritize our schedules. Because we can be so ruggedly run by the schedules of others that we never contemplate our own spiritual vibrancy in Christ and the overflow of it to others. And so serving in church or serving anywhere becomes the last option if I'm not doing other things. Paul's image of a nursing mother gently caring was his core value. And it was something he wanted the Thessalonians to have as their core value. And he wants us to have it as well. Is that your core value? When you get up in the morning, do you say, Oh God, how might you want to interrupt my calendar to help build up someone else? Fourth, he says, there is eternal truth over empty talk. Verse 9. Paul says, I was willing to work manual labor to share the good news with you, to share the gospel with you. He said, my associates and I showed our love for you by working hard to support ourselves. He said, my priority was so great to help you that I was willing to work rather than demand money from you. I don't get the idea that Paul sat around the church building chit-chatting with others about sports and the weather. Now, it's not, not a bad thing to talk about sports and the weather. But I don't get the feeling that Paul just sat around wasting time. He worked during the day so he could be freed up to serve these people in the evenings. He and his associates poured out their lives for them. It was not empty talk. It was eternal truth. Sometimes I think about this. Does God's Word so inspire me that I want to share it with somebody else? Do I get up in the morning and have a quiet time and think, I can't wait to tell somebody what I learned about God today? I was listening to my former professor, a great preacher, Tony, Dr. Tony Evans. He's got this little church in Oak Cliff, Dallas area. I don't know how many thousands of people go there, but 
Tony was speaking to a large gathering at a conference somewhere, and he was saying, we got so many secret service Christians. They kind of fly under the radar. They don't talk about their faith. And he says, have you ever noticed everybody else wants to share what they believe? No matter how ridiculous it might seem to us, they're sharing what they think. Why are we so hesitant to share what we believe? And I was convicted by that. When I heard him say that, I thought about my last conversation with one of my neighbors. He knows I'm a pastor. He knows I'm weird. And there came an open spot I could have shared, and I, I didn't. I thought, why, why did I hold back? See, Paul says, we don't just talk empty stuff. We talk about eternal truth. When we get up in the morning and have our time with the Lord, when we meet with our life groups and study together, we're thinking, who can I share this with? Who can I talk to about Jesus today? No more secret service Christians. We would say it this way, eternal truth over empty talk. God's Word inspires and instructs us. We see it as truth above all else. One of the things we've tried to emphasize in this church is to become a self-feeding Christian. I've heard Christians sometimes go to churches, I'm not being fed there anymore. And I think to myself, if I went to a church because they're going to feed me, I'm going to starve to death. I've got to learn to feed myself, to learn how to study the Bible on my own. That's what we're trying to do here. Well, that's the value of the Apostle Paul. He wanted the Thessalonians to have it as well. He wants Stonebridge Church to have it. Do you have it? Is that your value? The eternal truth over the latest news feed. Now, why was this so important? Paul gives us a little motivation in verses 10 through 12. He says, there's a purpose behind this. He said, I live this way for a reason. You are witnesses, and God also. By the way, in law court, you need two witnesses. So he said, you're a witness, and God is a witness. You saw our holy, righteous, blameless conduct. You saw that we lived what we believed, our moral conduct. For you know how, like a father with his children, first caring mother, now loving father, I coached you, I exhorted you, I encouraged you, I charged you, and for this reason, that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He said, my whole goal in being with you was to encourage you to become more and more like Jesus. That's why I coached you. And he said, by the way, he's the one who's calling us into his kingdom and glory. Paul would say, our lives are one dash between two numbers on a tombstone. And we need to live that dash, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, to its fullest under the kingdom rule of Christ, because someday we're going into an eternal rule with Christ. That's why I did it. That's why I lived these values. Because of eternity. It's a good word for us. If you're not a Christian yet, take note. You will step into eternity someday. This could be the very day that Jesus is calling your name and saying, Trust in me. Admit you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed me throughout your whole life. No wonder you're lonely. You're seeking your own ambition, your own desires, your selfish preoccupations. Put that aside and trust in me. Repent of your sins and trust in me that because of what my death and resurrection means, you can be forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, given meaning and purpose that you've been craving. This is why Paul acted like he did. He met Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he had his own ambition. He was an ambitious young man. And Jesus changed him. No wonder he's so passionate about this. If you're a Christian, how do you evaluate yourself on these values? Now, I want to be very clear here. None of us can live up to these values perfectly. We are not a perfect church. Would anyone agree with that? 
We want to say amen to the things we like, but that one we may not like so much. Let's, let's admit it. No perfect people here, including me. I'm the chief of sinners. Let's just put a sign up on the back. No perfect people allowed here. We're all sinners, redeemed by our Savior. The only person who could live up to these values perfectly was Jesus Christ. And that's why we make Jesus the center of everything. Because He's the one who changes us from the inside out to become more like Him. Sometimes we just need an illustration of this. How many of you know what I mean when I say Tyler Strong? Hashtag Tyler Strong. Any sports fans here? Okay. Tyler Trent, 20 years old. To say he is a fan of Purdue football would be an understatement. He is a fan, and fan means fanatic. He struggled with cancer for four years, was in very fragile health, but insisted that he come to this game because he predicted that Purdue would beat Ohio State. And when they did, the crowd rushed out of the statement saying, we did it for Tyler! ESPN, you do yourself a favor to go online and watch the ESPN interview with Tyler. Why was he so strong? Why is it hashtag Tyler strong? Well, I found a letter from his pastor, and I learned the answer. Here's what Tyler's pastor said. What made Tyler strong? Tyler loved Jesus. On the day that Tyler was diagnosed with cancer as a 16-year-old boy, his parents came in to give him the grim news. How did Tyler respond? He said, Dad and Mom, I was just meditating this morning in my quiet time, a 16-year-old student, on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> Here his parents were trying to think, how are we going to encourage this boy? And he's encouraging them. By the way, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 16, or 16 to 18, became a yellow wristband and athletes all over the country were wearing it, including at the University of Iowa. This young man made a huge impact before he passed away a couple of weeks later. This became Tyler's battle cry, the yellow wristband, Tyler Strong. But the pastor says, however, Tyler's strength didn't come from the prospect of healing, even though every medical option was pursued. His hope didn't rise from national support, as encouraging, as remarkable as that was. His courage didn't emerge from personal grit or self-discipline, although Tyler had both. No, Tyler's strength was rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the bedrock truth he believed. Tyler knew his greatest need was to be right with God. He trusted in Jesus, and his confidence and kindness overflowed from the forgiveness granted to him through Christ. That changed everything, even his perspective on cancer. Tyler's life was saturated with a passion for Jesus long before osteosarcoma invaded his world. And while cancer took his earthly life, it could never penetrate a soul transformed by the beauty of God's grace. Early in his battle, he told his dad, I just want to honor you and mom and honor the Lord. And his pastor said, mission accomplished. By the way, Tyler would put verses up on the glass of his door of his hospital room so that people who would come in and go out, people from his church, would be encouraged by the truth of Scripture. Tyler's strength sprang from the deep fountain of God's sovereign grace. He believed God had a purpose for his life, and cancer couldn't take that away. His friends and family would tell you that Tyler didn't change because of cancer, it just made his Christ-centered strength more apparent. 
This is what happens when someone has at their core values Christ over comfort, sharing rather than stealing, building rather than a busy calendar, the preeminence of Jesus. Now, the same is true for you and me. We may not have the national platform that Tyler had, but when you live out these values through the strength of Jesus Christ, you have an aroma about you. Did you know that? People smell something. And what do they smell? They smell the living God in you. We're going to get to that in Ephesians. So, when you sit down with a parent and their child with the Young Parents Network and read to this child, that mom and that child see Jesus in you. When you stand next to a young mother at ASAC trying to help her learn to cook healthy meals and to balance her budget, she smells Jesus Christ. When you work alongside someone at your workplace and you treat them with kindness and respect, they smell Jesus Christ. The invisible God becomes visible as we live out these values together. It is powerful and transforming. So, I'd like you to do me a favor right now as we think about these values. I want to give you a survey. The survey has to do with our neighborhood. 52404. How many live in this neighborhood? Yes, a lot of us do. And God has called us to love our neighbors through the 404 initiative. I would like you to take these values that you've been thinking about and respond to them in this survey. Tell us of your interest. Tell us how God is working in you and what He might be moving you to do. I would love to have the ushers please hand out those surveys right now. We'd like you to take just a couple of minutes, maybe three or four, fill this survey out, and then after this uh, five-minute period, we're going to collect the surveys. We want to collect them today. And we're going to look at them, and we're going to see. We're going to gain some insight as, as church leaders here, what your heart is for living out these values in the 404 neighborhood. So as these go out, let me just pray God's blessing over you, shall we? Father, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul who was not affected by the opinions of people but live to proclaim Jesus. Father, may we live as Paul, not by our own strength, for we will inevitably fail, but like Tyler Strong, may we so lean on Jesus that the life of Jesus becomes apparent. <laughs> Father, may we build each other up. May we contribute rather than stealing. May we live for you. Truth over empty talk. And we pray that as a result, you might use us as a body of believers to bring the good news of Jesus to a lot of people in the 52404 area that are lonely and depressed and struggling with mental health issues and given up hope. We don't do it because of their need. We do it because that's what you told us to do. That's why we do it. So may you receive the glory, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as that uh, survey goes out and as you fill it out, um, you may have an opportunity to look at the screen, and we have several uh, vignettes of people who love serving Jesus here at Stonebridge, just as a way of encouraging you.